Chapter Twenty Two of Secretary Hawkins in Cuba. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Secretary Hawkins in Cuba by Secretary Hawkins, the mysterious Jonah. The morning sun streamed through my stateroom window. When I opened my eyes, Link had already left his bunk and taken the dog Telmy with him. I hurried into my clothes and wondered why the boat had not started. I had expected it would be on its way before sunrise. While I was thinking about it, Duck came in. "Hope you slept well," he said. With a twinkle in his eye, we've all been up and had our breakfast an hour ago. I must be in a sleepy. I said, "What time do we start?" Start for where? Asked Duck. For Casanova's rocks. That's where we are going, isn't it? Well, for the land's sake! Exclaimed Duck. You surely must have been sleeping soundly, Hawkins. Look out of your window. I stepped upon my chair and peered through the porthole. Imagine my surprise, for the shoreline that I saw was not the landing of Villa Casanova; it was Casanova's rocks. Well, if that don't beat anything, I said, honest, Duck. I didn't hear a sound. I guess those engines down below make very little noise to let a fellow sleep all night when they are pushing this old boat through the water. Nothing of the sort," said Duck. "They made too much noise for me and for the others too. We were all up early. I don't believe I slept fifteen minutes straight along after the boat began to move." But a little thing like that doesn't interfere with your sleep, Hawkins. Bless me if I ever saw a boy who can sleep as sound as you. Come on down for your breakfast. So once more I found myself on the rocks of Casanova. It was just like Lucio not to tell us that he intended to make the trip while we slept. He was fond of giving us such little surprises, but I was glad that he had done so. I felt sure that whatever the trouble was at Villa Casanova, it had its beginning here in these gloomy rocks. I believed that all the ghosts and strange sights we saw at the villa had their secrets hidden somewhere among these cracks. And I was very anxious to look around. I meant to use all the brains I had to figure out this big problem. Oh, if the boys back home in our clubhouse could have dreamed that some day I would have had such a big puzzle to unravel, they would not have thought so much of the strange doings of Stoner's boy. Or of any of the other little troubles we had back there in our houseboat on the river.
I inquired for Link and was told that Lucio had taken him to see his daddy in the cabin among the wrecks. Jack proposed a walk after breakfast and allowed me to choose the direction. I was glad of this and started down along the bay toward the point where it branched out into the sea. It was a long walk, but we were both fresh in the morning and kept on walking and talking about the different things we saw until we had come to within a short distance of the sea itself. What a grand sight it was! Stretching away as far as the eye could see a white sheet of green that turned to a purple in a thin line where sea and sky seemed to meet. Far out were tiny sails of fishing boats, early birds that catch not worms but fish that feel nets easiest in the early morning hours. Disappearing over the skyline, under a ribbon of smoke, a foreign vessel was beginning a long voyage, and over all the blue, blue sky. Now, you don't see skies of such blue in the United States. It was a wonderful sight. Duck enjoyed it as much as I did. How about a walk up that way? suggested Doc, pointing to the left, where the bare shore skirted along the first rise of Casanova's wrecks. Fine, I said, let's go. We had gone about a half mile, I suppose picking up shells as I went along, when all at once Doc said, There's a ship, my stars, Hawkins. Look! at that ancient tub. There was a curve in the shore before us, a curve inward, forming a sort of a cove, I would call it, and there, backed into it, was a peculiar-shaped small vessel with three masts and sails made of the dirtiest canvas I ever saw. Upon the prow was in dim letters the name of this strange ship the Jonah, but the ship showed no signs of paint. Indeed, it looked as though it had been washed off by the waves, or perhaps it never had a coat of paint. Looks like a Jonah, all right, said Dak with a laugh. I'll bet she's a Jonah, too. Wouldn't be surprised, I said. I wonder if it's deserted doesn't seem to have anyone on board. Let's have a look, said Dak. I followed him. We reached the vessel and found upon the shore beside it a long board that evidently had been used for a gangplank. Together we placed it and walked carefully across the board to the ship. The vessel was leaning a bit toward shore and to all appearances, looked as though it was an old boat no longer in use, and there seemed to be nothing on the decks that would let one believe it was in service. But the hatches were locked, and so were the cabin doors. The wind from seaward sung through the masting, and sounded odd, 
we walked around to the front and then back to our gang plank. Nothing to be found out about the Jonah, said Doc, unless we want to break down the doors. Of course we won't, I said. I think she's a ship somebody threw away, Doc. Nobody would try the sea in a lopsided little schooner like this. That's why they shaft her into this quiet little hole. If it was in commission, it would be landed somewhere along the shore, where it's easier to get at and not so far to walk. Unless, said Doc, somebody might want to hide her. This is a fine hiding place for the Jonah. I'd like to know who owns her. I'd give a dollar to take a look inside. It's one of the oldest ships I've seen. I'll bet you she is a hundred years if she is a day. But we had to let her keep her secrets and walked back to our boat in the bay. All the while, I was thinking whether or not Dak was right about this boat being hidden there. But what could anybody want with such a dilapidated ship? I heard tell me barking as we neared Casanova's wrecks and saw Link and his daddy playing on the shore with the big dog. It was wonderful to see the shaggy animal dash into the waves to bring back a stick that Link had thrown into the bay. No matter how far out, the dog swam for it like a sea lion and brought it back. He seemed to be perfectly at home in the water. I've got to keep him doing something, said Link, because he always starts to run away when he isn't doing anything else. He's at home in the rocks here, said Link's father. It was hereabouts I found him, Link. I saw him several times running about here before I took a notion to keep him. Once Valdez and I saw him swimming the bay from the other side. He likes the water, but I'll get you a collar and chain for him. He might run off else. I followed Doc into the boat, where we found Lucio seated at the table in the parlor cabin, studying a paper before him, and Valdez, his trusty servant, who had been staying with Link's father, was standing beside him. Oh, said Lucio as we entered. Here is Dr. Waters. I have been studying this chart, and Valdez has helped me. We have made out the marks, or think we have. What do you say about trying to locate the treasure this afternoon? Any time, said Doc. This business is beginning to be tiresome, Lucio, and the sooner it is over with, the better. Very good, said Lucio. We will start this afternoon. It is best to leave Link and his father here. Valdez will stay with him and keep an eye on our men here in the boat. I want Secretary Hawkins along. Oh, he will come, said Doc. I don't think he could be kept back now. Not much, I said. I intend to stick it out, Uncle Lucio.
Lucio smiled. That's fine, he said. We might need you. We had light lunch about one o'clock, and then the three of us set out for the search. Link wanted to come when he heard I was going, but his father interested him in a collar that he was making for Tell Me out of a leather strap from a life preserver, and Valdez had fetched a chain, and so Link was satisfied to stay in the boat. We started up the same path that we had taken the night we had followed Pablo Saulas and Broken Nose Diego. It surely was the winning way mentioned in the chart, for it curved and twisted around the rocks as it went up, ending directly upon that flat jabbing slop known as Casanova's doom. Here we are said Lucio, quietly, a winding way to the end, and there under. Surely this is the place. If there's another such a winding way on Casanova's wrecks, I should like to see it, but there under is what puzzles me. See, here are the marks that Pablo Saules and Diego made that night with their picks and chisels. They were sure about it being under here, but it doesn't seem possible. How could they ever expect to dig through this wreck? They probably did not intend to do that, said Duck. They probably had powder or dynamite with which to blow a hole in the wreck. Pablo must have been told about it. Lucio stamped upon the wreck. It does not sound hollow, he said. Perhaps there is a block of stone that lifts out, I suggested. No, said Dak, there isn't a sign of a crack or a cut in the rock that might have been cemented over. So we all started to look around. I picked out my own way and looked carefully. The rocks on this side were all covered with a green staff that looked to me like moss. It was thick and soft like velvet. In places, it had been worn off. I walked over to the edge of the rock that jutted out over the sea and looked down. It made me dizzy. Far below was the sea lapping gently against the wall of the rock and under the green surface dim. Pale shapes flashed up and down, and I shuddered as I thought of sharks. I hurried away from the edge and crossed to the opposite side, where the rock ended in a wide chasm that separated it from a higher point. As I lay flat upon my stomach, looking down into this gap, it seemed to me that I heard whisperings, I turned and looked back. Dak and Lucio had returned to the middle of the big rack and were seated there talking. I looked down into the gap again, and then I told myself that what I heard must be the echo of Dak and Lucio talking. I returned to where Dak and Lucio sat. 
There's a wonderful echo up here, I said. That pinnacle across the chasms yonder throws the sound back, I suppose. Lucio was interested. I must hear it, he said, and went over to the edge. I followed him. Duck remained seated where he was, but Lucio held up his finger. We remained quiet, and as we listened, we could hear it again, whisperings coming up to us from below in that chasm. What now? asked Lucio in a low voice. Nobody was talking up here then. That surely is no echo, Hawkins. Somebody's below there. Two people are below. Come, we will see. But, try as we would, we could find no way to get down. The sides were steep and dangerous. As we were about to give up, I saw something. Lucio saw it too. It was a thick rope, a new rope, tied to an iron ring that had been fastened in a groove in the side of the rocky chasms. So cleverly had this groove been cut into the rock that the rope was as good as invisible. Indeed, we never should have seen it had it not been that the rope had been given a jerk by someone below in the chasm, throwing it for a moment out of its hiding groove. They are coming up, said Lucio. Come. Duck jumped, and we followed Lucio. He took us to the same place under the ledge of rock where we had watched Pablo Saules and broken-nosed Diego that night, and from where we could see the tap of Casanova's doom without being seen ourselves. It's good we did not find a way to get down, I said. No telling who it is we should have met down there. Quiet, said Lucio. Watch. We watched. And I will surprise you when I tell you who it was that first popped his head out of that chasm. It was Elam, the lame man. I know Lucio and Dak were surprised to see that man with a twisted leg come out of that crack of rock by means of a rope. But it was no surprise to me. I had seen this man hanging on to vines and peering into my bedroom window. If he could climb vines, he could climb ropes as well. He scampered upon the rack, and then turned to help up another, an old man, gray-whiskered, wearing a brown cloth wrapped around his head, a shirt with no sleeves, khaki trousers that were staffed into knee boots. They pulled the rope up after them, coiled it up, and together they came down the winding way. They passed within arm's reach of us, where we stood watching, but did not turn their eyes. They kept on walking down the winding path and talking in low tones as they went. There's your lame man, Hawkins, said Doug after they had disappeared around the next bend. 
and I am going to follow him. I said, I believe he is the man who knows more about this business than he has told us, Dag. Come, let's all follow him. Careful, warned Lucio. Let them get a good distance first. I don't know, said Dag, whether we ought to follow them or not. They might see us and suspect something, and then they might give us trouble. I'll go by myself, I said. That will be safer, won't it, Uncle Lucio? You can wait for me below somewhere. I want you to see where my friend, the lame man, keeps himself. At first, Dak would not hear of it, but Lucio told him I could be trusted to take care of myself. And so we crept down the winding path again, cautiously, and as we reached the bottom, we could see the lame man and his old companion turning toward the sea. We will wait here, said Lucio. Go carefully, Hawkins, my boy. I hugged the rocks as I started after them. Occasionally, I would take a long run, and when I thought they were about to turn around, I would dodge behind some rock and wait. Then, peeping over the tap, I would see them going on, and I would start for another rock further on. Thus, I followed them to the sea, and saw them turn to the left and walk along the shore. There was not a ship in sight, nor was there even a small boat beached upon the shore. I said to myself, I think I know where they're going. And I was right. They went straight to the little old ship that bore the name the Jonah. I watched them step and look at the gangplank, which we had left as we placed it in the morning. The lame man scratched his head and said something to his old comrade. The old man shook his head. Then they went aboard, and I saw the lame man produce a key from his pocket and open the door in the cabin. Then I went back as fast as I could and told Dak and Lucio. End of chapter 22